Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. I uh, told you a little bit ago, my name is Pastor Mark. I'm the discipleship pastor here at New Life. Uh, over the past six years, uh, I have worked uh, with student ministry as the student pastor here at New Life. Uh, in June, I made a transition to discipleship ministry, uh, which I, I, don't, I don't know, I guess it's a fancy term or a, for, for I, I guess I, I wear a handful of different hats here, working with our kids' zone ministry and our local mission and outreach with our local mission outreach director Karen Schiebel and I, I still dabble in some youth ministry things. I do a wide variety of different things here including working with some of our future and small group ministry and growth track ministry here at New Life. Uh, if you're a first time guest with us this morning, usually Pastor Chris is up here who's our lead pastor and if he's not up here, usually he's somewhere in here with us. But this morning he's out with his brother Tom and they went out to breakfast this morning and then they're going to go down to the Buccos game uh, and so he's out there celebrating with his his brother, which I'm, I'm super excited because he could have come this morning, but he made the choice himself uh, to skip church and to go to breakfast with his brother, which is honestly, it's a phenomenal choice for a senior pastor to make and a really difficult choice for a senior pastor to make. So I'm really proud of him for going out to breakfast with his brother and then making his way to the Buccos game this morning. So I'm here with you this morning. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, if you are a first time guest, we're super excited to have you here. Uh, we've prayed for you and prepared for you well before you decided to come here and join us this morning. Um, we, uh, we've thought out uh, hopefully everything to make you feel comfortable being here with us. If you have any questions about the things that we do or why we do the things that we do, feel free after service, come up and ask me or come up and ask one of our other staff members or volunteers or go to our welcome center, which I'll tell you where that is by the end of service because we're gonna encourage you to go there anyway. Ask them any of the questions that you might have. If we don't have the answers for you, uh, surely we'll look to find those answers for you. Um, this morning we are in uh, this series which uh, we've been in all summer long and we're kind of in the stages of wrapping that up now. And during the summer here at New Life, we've traditionally looked at a book of the Bible and taken it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so this summer's no different. We've been looking at the book of Ephesians in a series called Sit, Walk, Stand. And now it's called Sit, Walk, Stand because in addition to looking at the book of Ephesians and taking it uh, little by little throughout the summer each week, we've also have been resourced by another book written by a man named Watchman Nee, which I think we actually have that book uh, available if you want to purchase it at our book stand out in the Welcome Center. And that book is also called Sit, Walk, Stand. And so we're talking about the three stances or the three positions that we have before God and his son, Jesus, here in the world. And so we started by talking about sitting, and during that chunk of the summer, in that chunk of Ephesians, we learned that as we sit in the seat of honor with God, he's given us this seat in this place with him that we do not deserve, that we could not earn. It's something called grace. And, and grace in and of itself is this crazy, complex, almost impossible to understand thing. And the grace of God is just outrageous because it represents salvation for us. And we learned that there's nothing that we can do to receive it, nor is there anything that we can do once we have received it to out-sin it or to get rid of it. 
which is just crazy. And then we began talking about walking. And so as we began, talk, began talking about walking, we, we were realizing that walking means that we have a way in this world, that we're not really part of this world, but we're aliens in a foreign land, that our home is somewhere else. That when we ask Jesus to come into our lives, when we ask him to be our Savior, when we ask him to be our Lord, that our home is in a different place and that God is preparing that place for us. The Bible says that he carefully prepares our home for us, for our arrival. And this isn't our home. And today we're going to focus in on one of the finer points of, of how we're to exist as we walk throughout this world because we have tasks that God has given us, commands even, that God has given us on the ways in which we should live and the ways in which we should act as followers of Jesus as we live and walk throughout this present world, this world that is passing away. And so we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. Now, last night I started off by reading all 21 verses, um, which I think was probably agonizing. So we're not going to do that um, because it, it's really, really long. I will just say this. We are going to go through um, pretty much all 21 verses this morning, and I'm going to read them. I'm just going to read them in different sections this morning instead of reading them all at once and then reading them again. And I will say this. Uh, we could probably preach three sermons uh, from these 21 verses. I mean, uh, Ephesians 5, 1 through 21 is just packed full of stuff. There's tons of stuff in this passage. And as you're going to see, we probably could spend an intense amount of time on each of the subjects that I'm going to address this morning. But I'm going to key in on one central point, which is going to be this morning's take-home point. Now, if you don't know what our take-home point is, it's that one point that I'm going to focus on. It's the one point that my message is going to hinge upon. It's the one point that I hope that you and I will take home and live out in the coming week. And our take-home point this week is this. Light is one of our most valuable tools for evangelism and fighting injustice. Light is one of our most valuable tools for evangelism and for fighting injustice. Now, continue to tune in with me because if you just hear that, it seems a little bit strange and you could end up doing really weird things for Jesus with a flashlight. Um, but that, 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 Paul continues to talk about what exactly light is in Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. But I want to read really just verse 1 to you. And so we'll put that up on the screen. You can also follow along in your study guide this morning as we look at various pieces of this scripture. If you have your study guide with you, if not, it'll, it'll be up on the screen. But verse 1 just simply says this. And it's like, it's, this, it's such an powerful verse in scripture. Such a powerful verse. It says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Now, I, I normally would not read one verse and stop. That, that seems a little bit crazy. Um, but we're, I'm going to stop right there, because that is just such an incredibly powerful verse. If you're familiar with other passages of the Bible, you might know that in other passages of Scripture, God calls us his enemies. That humanity is an enemy of God, that we're pitted against him in some way because of the sin that is within us. Adam and Eve fell away from God in the Garden of Eden, and as they fell away from God, sin was born into this world. As sin was born into this world... Sin has been passed down generation to generation. I was born into it. You were born into it. We were born sinful individuals. We were born as enemies of the creator of the universe. 
the most powerful being in existence. We were born as enemies to that being. Yet in this passage, Paul doesn't say, imitate God because you are his enemies and you need to become like him. No, Paul says, imitate God because we are children of God. The other individual who gets the title child of God is none other than Jesus himself, who is called God's one and only son. One and only son, yet we also inherit the title of children, child, sons, and daughters of the creator. Now, with child comes all of these other connotations. With that comes inheritance, and and with it comes power. With it comes salvation. And God does not disappoint, for he is everything that we can ask and imagine and infinitely more. No, this first passage, just this first verse, there's so much gospel truth and so much power in one verse that Paul writes that it frames all the rest of the writing for us. Everything else in Ephesians chapter 5 is framed by the fact that we are no longer enemies of God. No, no. We who serve Jesus and follow him and have asked him to come into our lives are now considered children. If we realized nothing else this morning, if we remembered nothing else, if the take-home point went out of our minds, if we made no commitments today, but instead we left here thinking wholeheartedly about what it meant to be a child of God when we were enemies, bound in sin, destined for hell, but now we have an inheritance with the Father, it could change our lives forever. And it should be changing our lives daily. All oh, that first verse frames everything for this passage, which is why you have to stop at verse one and just take a moment and just settle in it, right? And just think upon it because we're called children. From there, Paul is going to continue by talking about a whole long list of things that we should not do. Now, if you go into that without understanding this first verse that Paul is calling us children of God, it can begin to take on the appearance that Christianity is this long list of do's and don'ts, and it becomes this tyranny of self-righteousness. See what I mean when I read to you from the next couple of verses. Starting in verse 2, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talks, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. Once again, as you read this, it can seem like a long list of things that you shouldn't do as a Christian. I was in Israel a couple years ago, 
in 2012 into 2013, right after Christmas through New Year's, my mother and I uh, went on a trip. We had taken a class at Geneva College on archaeology, and then <clears throat> we went to a handful of archaeological dig sites throughout Israel and Jerusalem. So we spent 12 days touring sometimes like five, six archaeological dig sites. It sounds a little boring, right? And in America, it probably would be. But in Israel, it's kind of like your Indiana Jones um, because they don't put like, like ropes up or anything. You can climb on everything. So you're, you're like, ancient temple, I'm going to climb on it. <laughs> and then you just like climb to the top of this ancient temple. You're like, Dead Sea Scrolls, I'm going in the caves. And you can like climb up into the caves where the Dead Sea Scrolls were. And it's <laughs> like crazy, like they don't, there's like no rules. And so uh, in Jerusalem, we got to go and spend a couple of days there, which honestly, like you got to see some archaeological digs there. And that was cool. But the culture was the coolest thing because uh, you had these three cultures who are coming together. You have this ancient Christian culture that's a little kind of dead, honestly. Then you have this vibrant Jewish culture and this vibrant Muslim culture who are all clashing all at the same time. I said one of the most surreal experiences for me was standing at the pools of Besheba where Jesus had healed a man. I'm standing there with a Christian church behind me, a Jewish man praying beside me, and the Muslim call to worship playing over top of the city. It was like this surreal experience where all of these world religions were clashing all at once inside this city, and all of their cultures were coming together, and they're living side by side right next to each other. So as we were learning about these things, one of the things that was perplexing to me is you didn't get a lot of chance to talk to people who were Jewish. Most of the people in Israel were Orthodox Jews, and so they spent the vast majority of their time, not in Israel, but in Jerusalem, praying to God all day long uh, for, this, for the city of Jerusalem and for the nation of Israel. That's kind of like their job. That's what they do. And so uh, as you know, we would spend time there, you would try to get to know some of the customs and things, but it was difficult. So one day we were taken to this art shop right outside of uh, the Muslim and Jewish districts in downtown Jerusalem. And we were all taken inside and there was these two practicing Orthodox Jewish men who ran this art shop. And uh, right outside their door literally are walls that were there when Jesus was crucified. Like the, the road that Jesus walked on and carried the cross on when he was crucified is outside his door. The same, the same cobblestones that the first disciples stepped on are right outside his front door. Like his, his, his house is made into, his shop is made into the walls of the city of Jerusalem. It's crazy. So there's all this history. And so we get in and we get the opportunity to ask these two guys any questions we want about what they believe. And all of us are Christians, uh, at least I thought, I assume we were. And so we get to ask them any questions that we want. And so most of those questions, because, you know, as Christians in America, you think you know everything there is to know about Jewish people, and, and we just absolutely know nothing. And so, you know, we're talking, to, why don't you sacrifice animals anymore? And, uh, you know, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And, and he's answering all these questions, and he was brilliant, just brilliant guy. And uh, I remember all of his answers, they were awesome, but one answer stuck out to me more than anything else, and it really began to change my view of who God was and my relationship to him. And I, I think the question had a lot to do with eating uh, meat with milk because everything, uh, you like, can't get a cheeseburger there, right? Like in the morning you eat fish and milk and in the afternoon you can eat meat but you can't get any dairy products with it. 
And so for us as Christians, and especially American Christians, it seemed a lot like the Jewish people were still stuck in the same ways that the Pharisees were stuck in back in the time of Jesus. It seemed like they were in all these, ugh, like these constricting rules and regulations. It didn't make any sense to us. So we asked him about that. You know, why do you follow all these crazy rules? And he said to us, that aren't in the Bible, some of them, and he said to us, he said, listen, if my wife, who I love, was at home sick in bed, I would ask her, what do you want? And if she said, I want an orange, I would go to the market and I would buy her a bushel of oranges. And then I would return and give her the bushel of oranges. Why? Because I love her so much that it isn't enough for me to do what she asks, but I need to do more than what she's asked of me, abundantly more than what she requires. And he said, it's the same way for the Jewish people. We don't do what we do out of an obligation. We do what we do out of love for our God. Yeah, God says, here's the guardrail, here's the line, don't cross it. It isn't enough for us to walk the line. If we want to show that we love him, then we need to do exceedingly more than he has ever asked of us. For he has done exceedingly more than we have ever asked of him. And it was so eye-opening to me. We left the shop basically right after that question, and I walked through the streets of Jerusalem. All of this history and stuff is surrounding me. And I left knowing like the dangers of believing that you can work and earn your way into heaven. And I wasn't going to fall into that trap. And I knew that Jesus was the only way into heaven, and that wasn't going to change anything. And I knew that God had written down these commands for our safety, and I wasn't going to fall into any of those traps. But I couldn't shake the fact that this man so desperately was in love with his God that he was willing to sacrifice or do anything. And my love for who Jesus was was pale and wispy, smoky, and unreal in comparison to the way this man worshipped and served his God. I left wishing that this man knew Jesus. I was convinced that if he knew Jesus, that he would change his city because I knew that his simple and profound answers had changed my life and changed the way I began to relate to my God. Now, I tell you that not to guilt you into loving God more. I'm convinced that guilt doesn't cause anybody to love anybody or anything more. I've never been guilted into loving anything more. I doubt that you have ever been guilted into loving anybody or anything more. But I tell you that because I think it frames a perspective for Paul. Because Paul was also a Jewish man. And when we read these verses from like 2 down to 7, we can get this feeling of a holier-than-thou, righteous, pompous guy writing to a church and telling them what they should do and what they shouldn't do. But when we see the Jewish people for who they really are, and when I get this idea, I picture this man, Paul, sitting down to write to this church and instead of picturing a man that's saying, don't do this and do this and don't do that, I picture a man so desperately in love with God that he's willing to sacrifice anything, anything, anything except for his faith in Jesus is willing to be sacrificed on behalf of the gospel, on behalf of the story. Paul will give anything 
That's how crazy and outrageous his love for Jesus is. And when I see that, I realize that I can't hope to understand the Bible. I can't hope to understand what God breathed through Paul and through the other writers of the scripture. I can't understand it until I'm hopelessly and desperately in love with who Jesus is and I've surrendered myself to him. I am doomed to always misunderstand it and believe it's a list of rules and regulations until I am desperately in love with who Jesus is. We can't, I just feel like I can't pick up the Bible anymore and really understand it fully unless I'm completely in love with Jesus. Because I realize that that is probably exactly, that man just reminded me so much of who Paul was when he wrote those words. As we go on from those verses, Paul continues to say in verse 8, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Paul now breaks into what our take-home point is all about, this light. For this light within you produces only what is good and light and good and right and true. You were once people full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. You should live as people of the light. Paul goes on to say, listen, you were once slaves to sin. You were once doomed for hell. You once belonged to the ways of this world, but now you have been given a light, and that light is the Holy Spirit. You have been given a light. That light is the Holy Spirit. That light is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has been given to you. You are no longer the same person, and everything good that comes out of you as a people, as a church, comes directly from who Jesus is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we get an idea and a reference for what the light is for Paul. It's the power of the Holy Spirit because Paul is utterly in love with the power of the Holy Spirit as much as he's utterly in love with who Jesus and the Father are as well. And he says, listen, you were once slave. This is where the evangelism piece comes in, right? It's one of our greatest tools for evangelism. Paul says that the Holy Spirit will help us because the Holy Spirit has come into our lives and changed us. We were this, now we are this. We were somebody enslaved to darkness and then we met Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit and we have now become a different person. We all have that darkness to light story if we've experienced Jesus. Some of us have an overnight change when it's dramatic and some of us are more like me and it's not an overnight change. No, we accepted Jesus when we were eight. We got serious about it in middle school. We got called into something whenever we were in high school. Slowly but surely, Jesus has been working in our lives to mature us. But I can tell you this. I was once a slave to sin and darkness, a slave to the world. And Jesus has slowly but surely, day after day, been setting me free through the power of the Holy Spirit and the light that dwells within me. And Paul says, this is our greatest tool for the gospel. Your story is the greatest tool for the gospel. No matter if you think it is weak or you think it is strong, if you want others to know about Jesus, tell them this is who I was, this is who I am, and who I am is a product of who Jesus is. Because when I met him, I 
changed. The light that is within me does not lie. Paul goes on to say, after pointing out that the light that is within you has changed you, uh, from there he goes on in verse 10 to get to this justice piece. He says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. He says it is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But tune in here. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. It says, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. And who has the light? We do. Who has been given the light? We have. Followers of Jesus have been given the Holy Spirit. We have been given the light. Notice this passage, Paul does not say, and the power of God will reveal the darkness and the wickedness in the world. It does not say that the power of God will send his angels to reveal the darkness and wickedness of the world, but know that the light will shine on the darkness of the world, and it will be revealed. God does not make plan Bs. He makes a plan A, and he follows through. We are God's plan A for justice in this world. And through the power of the Holy Spirit that is within us, we are God's plan for justice. And where there is darkness, if there is no power of the Holy Spirit from faithful followers of Jesus, there will not be justice. I'm a firm believer that there are dark places in the world, and there are a lot of times Christians who shy away from those dark places because we believe we do not have a voice, we believe we do not have a place, or we believe we do not belong there. When the truth of the matter is God has given us a light, that light is the Holy Spirit, and we have a place, and we have a right, and more than that, we have a command and an obligation to shine that light into the darkest places in the world. And when I say the world, I do mean the world because some of you are going to Cambodia here very soon and you will have an opportunity to shine the light through the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel into a dark place. But I also mean the spheres of influence that you have been given. Some of you have been given a sphere of influence with your own family, with your husband or with your wife, with your coworkers, with your friends, some of you have been given a sphere of influence with people in your classes at school. There is darkness everywhere that we have an individual world or a sphere of influence. And as followers of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are commanded to shed light through truth and love into the dark places in the world. That means for me a couple of things. I have a sphere of influence, a world with a small group of soon-to-be 11th grade guys. And let me tell you, if there's darkness anywhere, it's in the life of 11th grade boys because they are surrounded in a lost world. And it is my job each week for those who decide to show up to youth group and each week those who decide to text me back to shed light into a dark world. For me, another place is a community that I've been praying, God, can I have a voice here? Do I have a voice here? And that's the video gaming community. I've been playing video games my, most of my entire life. I've been fascinated by them. 
As a 28-year-old, I'm unashamed to say that I play video games on a daily basis. And there's this incredibly fast-growing community of video game players, millions upon millions of people who are gathering together online. It's enormous. It'll become one of the fastest-growing sports that you're going to see on TV soon. And it's one community that's by and large neglected by the church. And I'll tell you this confidently, there's very few voices of truth and love inside that community. And I've been able to participate in it, understand its language, and be a part of it for most of my life. So I'm praying, God, do you have a voice for me in this place to speak truth and love inside that community? The next place for me and the most important place for me is probably with my wife. I have no children, but it's for me to seek out places inside my marriage where there's darkness and there's secrets and ask God to give me the power of the Holy Spirit to shine a light on the dark places of our marriage so that me and my wife Jennifer can root those things out and make our marriage healthier and better for when we do start a family. And lastly, that last world and sphere of influence is the one that's within myself and even if you know nobody, which is impossible, you have yourself. And you have a sphere of influence in you. And the scariest and the darkest place is the inwardness of your own soul. And it's the place where we need to start allowing the Holy Spirit to shine first. And let me tell you, it's a work that's never complete. Because every step that you take deeper, oftentimes is a step darker. But God desires to shine the Holy Spirit deeper into us, for he's made us in his image and desires to chisel away and remove the things that are not of him. And so my task each day is to ask God, your Holy Spirit, come into me and shine your light into my own life so that I may appear and look and live more like your son, Jesus, did. So I may shine a brighter light into injustice and evangelism throughout your world. All of that brings us to today's commitment. Commitment is that one thing we hope that you will commit to do this upcoming week. Today's commitment is this. I will protect, grow, and use God's light in me this week. I will protect, grow, and use God's light in me this week. That means surrender this week. That means surrender. That means in all of your own worlds, in your own little spheres of influence, you have to put down your own agendas because we all have our own agendas. We all have our own plans. We all have our own power schemes. We all have our own things that we want to see happen. We all have our own defaults that we fall into. You know, mine that says I don't want to wash the dishes. So what's the way that I can sort of manipulate my way into being busy for the 30 seconds that I think I might get asked to wash the dishes tonight? You know, we all have our own little schemes inside our heads. How can we surrender those things this week? so that the Holy Spirit can take control of our lives and we can shine light, love, truth, and justice into the spheres of influence that we have so that others may come to know Jesus and that justice may come to the world that we have and we may live in a brighter place. Because we look out into the world, we see a very dark world right now and a scary place oftentimes. But that place does not get any brighter nor less fearful if we don't begin to act in the small places that we are right now by surrendering our will and our own agendas in the places that we exist to Jesus. And as we surrender those things and Jesus begins to exist in them through us and we begin to speak truth and life through the power of Jesus, he begins to entrust us with more influence so that we can speak more light 
life, truth, and justice. Our benediction or my closing today is just the end of the passage. And honestly, it's the end of the passage simply because I, it, it was breathed by God and it's written any better than anything that I could write. And so I'm just gonna read the end of this to you. It's verses 15 through 21. And I think it's fitting to end any sermon. It says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Pray with me. Father God, as we go out from this place, we go into a world that can oftentimes seem frightening. But you are not frightened. And you are not a God of fear, but you are a God of light truth and love, a God of justice. And you have given us everything that we need through the power of your Holy Spirit to spread your gospel, your good news, your story, Lord, and to spread justice to a world that needs it. And so I pray that those who know you as Savior and Lord today will go out into the world this week and fearlessly ask the Holy Spirit to fill them up and then bravely and boldly step into situations where justice and your story are needed. And that they would rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to give them words and truth, and more than anything, love for a dark and lonely world. Your name, amen.